Hey family, this is Javer Fitzbogle and I am the creative director of the Detox Movement Global Ministries and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that it blesses you. We hope that it challenges you and we hope that it encourages you to see that God is moving in your life. So come grow with us and enjoy the message. What is going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome. How you doing? How you doing? How y'all doing? Let's give Jesus a round of applause. Man, God is so good, man. Welcome, guys. Welcome. If you're joining us for the first time, how are you doing? My name is Javer Fitzbogle. I'm the creative director of the Detox Movement Global Ministries, and this is our Bible study. Man, God has been doing so much in the life of this ministry, man, and I'm so excited about what God is about to do in our ministry. Uh, I just wanted to come here, man, and tell you guys today that I appreciate every single one of you uh, for joining us every single week. You could be doing so many other things with your time. You could be in school, you could be working, you could do whatever, but man, look, we just want to say thank you so much for setting time aside to be a part of what God is doing in our lives. I pray that God would strengthen you, that he would stretch your understanding of who he is, that he will bless you, that he will place his hand upon you and keep you from evil in Jesus' name. So if y'all have been joining with us, man, it has been a blessing, like salad dressing. Y'all like that salad dressing? But I, I like uh, I like what Caesar salad. I, I'm a Caesar salad kind of guy. I, I don't know what y'all is. I think blue cheese is nasty for the record. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. But I like cheese though. Um, but I pray that this message today brings life to you, encourages you to see that God is moving in your life. So, without further ado, we're gonna jump into our Bible study. Uh, I just want to say, man, thank you to every single one of our partners, our ministry members. Uh, you guys serve with us on a daily basis. I appreciate every single one of you. I believe God is going to do a transformative experience. Now, we started these Bible studies about six months ago. And I mean, I'll tell you, it's been a crazy journey. We started off talking about the miracles of Jesus. And I was a blessing because we learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and who he, who he came to be to us here on earth. Then we dived in, we started talking about in the trenches. And that, that series was talking about, man, when you're in a hard place, when you're in a hard season, when you're going through so much in your life, you might be in the trenches, but that is a place that is not meant to break you down, but it's meant to build you up. And we went from in the trenches to a series called Insecure. And that series was a blessing because we learned that, man, life is more than just being insecure. It's not always about the insecurities that we have, but sometimes it's about being in security. And then we went from insecurities into a series entitled Make Me. Now, this was a blessing to me because it helped me to understand that God was making us to be something. God wanted me to be something that God wants to make us, but he will never make us. But today we are starting a brand new series entitled Evidence. Now, if y'all was with us for the past two weeks, two weeks ago, we did a message entitled Make Me Evidence. And this was a message that God really put on my heart because I genuinely believe that God is making us to be evidence. And some of the things that we're often looking for are the very things that God is making us to be. So this series of evidence is really a polarizing concept. It's to paint the picture that yes, God is moving, but God has always been moving. 
And if you are able to, if you are careful, you will see that God has been moving as long as you've been alive. That even before the foundation of who God created you to be, that you were formed even before creation itself, that God knew of you. He knew your, he knew your, your whole life. He knew what your plans were going to be. He knew what your agenda was going to be. He knew how old you would live to, and he would know exactly what you would accomplish in your life. But sometimes we live and we go through life wondering if God is really with us. Like, I really just don't know, God, are you really, you really got my back? Like, are you a real God? Like, are you really going to show up and show out? Are you really like, you know, are you like a God? Like, it's like an overlay for the underplay type of God. You know what I'm saying? Where you, where we talk about you, we hear you, but then you show up at the last minute or you might not show up at all. Like, what kind of God are you? This series entitled Evidence is not going to prove anything, but it's going to help you to understand that a lot of things have been proven in you that God has proven himself to be God, whether or not you accept it or not, or not. Because the fact of the matter is this, God is moving, whether or not you can see him. But if you can see what he's doing and moving in you, you will be able to attach yourself to confidence and faith you will see that God wants to do supernatural things in your life and with your life. That God wants to take you from one level of glory to the next level of glory because he has given you the proof to support that you are built for this. So although this message, this series is entitled Evidence, I want every single one of you to understand that you are built for the life that God created you for. And when you realize that God has built you for what he's called you for, he will then show you why he built you. Purpose is directly attached to who God has made you to be. And the reasons why will always come in the form of evidence. If you have your Bibles, if not, go on Google. I want you to pull up Exodus chapter one. Now we got a long read. Y'all know sometimes we got short reads. Sometimes we got medium reads, medium long reads. Now this is a long read. We're going to be reading like 20 verses today. Um, but I feel like it's so necessary to the progression of where we're going. And before I start reading Exodus chapter one, I want to just kind of briefly talk to you guys about where God has brought us from. Six months ago, we started these Bible studies. This ministry had started even longer ago, about 2015. I started off producing creative videos, making biblical content, putting music behind the text and bringing it to you guys in a type of way that you were able to see God in a vivid image and be like, wow, God is really speaking. Wow, God is really moving. Wow, look at God. And I did not know then, but everything I had gone through in 2015 was evidence to support that God wanted to do something today. And whether or not you want to believe this point, I need everybody in here online to understand that you today is literally evidence for the you tomorrow. That everything God has brought you from is evidence to support where you are. And where you are is evidence to support where God is taking you. I'm a firm believer that God uses where we are as a platform to purpose us for where he's going. There was this guy named Joseph in the Bible. Joseph was uh, what the youth say today is an MOG. You understand me? He was a, a man of God. You feel me? He loved the Lord and he was about that life. Y'all heard the story before. Joseph found himself in a peculiar situation. His brothers had sold him into slavery. 
Now, this is hard. This is really hard. I don't know if y'all, some of y'all can really picture what this is like, but could you imagine your siblings, your family, the people you love the most, sold you into slavery because of their perception of you then? Could you imagine when God takes you out of a place where you were battered, bruised, you were chastised, you were spoken negative of, and he puts you in a place of glory, what people would think of you now? This was the story of Joseph. Joseph found himself in a place where his brothers despised him because Joseph had a little attitude. He was a little prideful. He looked a little different. He was a little funky on the way he used to chew. He, he, was, he was kind of awkward. But the thing about Joseph was this. Joseph understood that God was taking him somewhere. And what we're going to read today is setting up the foundation of the idea of direction and destiny. That God will always give you direction or he will always give you destiny, which is destination. And sometimes he may not give you both. So we're going to read here in, in, um, in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read the first 20, how are we feeling today? The first 20 verses. Before we read, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for today, because we know, God, that today is the day that the Lord has made. So, Father, we're going to use Bible study in this moment as a reason to rejoice. Father, there might be somebody listening under the sound of my voice that may not have a reason. Father, let this word be their reason to find joy and thankfulness that you have created them, that you have allowed them to see another day. Father, I pray that this word will bring life to your people, that it would give them insight, remove the clutter from their eyes so that they can see clearly. Father, we thank you, God, for what you're doing. Let this word become evidence of your grace, your love, and your mercy. Produce great things in them in Jesus' name. Exodus chapter 1. Again, with a little bit of context, we see that earlier on in the latter portion of Genesis, we said there was a man named Joseph. And um, um, excuse me, um, um, uh, yeah, Joseph. And Joseph himself was a type of person where he believed God was showing him things and giving him vision, giving him insight, giving him direction, giving him destination. And he was young in his understanding of the things of God. And sometimes when you're young and you really don't know what you're doing, sometimes you can put yourself in an uncomfortable position with others. And then people just won't like you just because of who you are and how the way you talk and the way you do things. They don't like you because you really got Jesus in you, but you don't know how to handle him. You see, Jesus is overwhelming. There's a reason why when we come to Christ that we're new in Christ. We're babes in the faith. And then when you start, like babies, do you drink milk? And then you start drinking meat and you go from one level of substance to the next. You do that because God is difficult to understand. We cannot understand him in this earthen, in this earthen body. So Joseph found himself in that position in prior verses where he did not know how to handle this God he was maturing to understand. And because of this, his brothers grew to hate him. They literally sold your boy for like a bag of Cheetos, man. It was, it was horrible. Sold him out into Egypt. And now this is where Jacob, Joseph found himself in Egypt. And our story begins from this point. Now, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to read quickly, but please try to grab the context because it's all important to what we want to talk about today. Exodus 1, verse 1. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. I'm sorry, if I've been saying Joseph, I meant to say Jacob. I'm mixing up my names here. Now, each with his household, Reuben, Simon, Levi, Jude, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, all the descendants of Jacob. 
who are 70 persons. Now, Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all the generation, verse seven, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong that now the land was filled with them. Verse eight, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Mm. And he said to the people, behold, the people of Israel are too many. They're too mighty for us. Now come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if a war breaks out and they join our enemies and fight us against and escape from the land, what are we going to do? Verse 11, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Wow. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses, uh, but more, the more, the more, the more they were oppressed was the more they multiplied. I know that's speaking to somebody tonight, the more you are oppressed, I heard the Lord say is the more you're going to multiply. And the more they had spread abroad. Now, and the Egyptians were dread of the people of Israel, verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and bricks and all the kinds of work over the fields and in all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves verse 15 and the king of egypt said to the hebrew midwives now one who was named sapphira and the other one whose name was pua verse 16 when you serve as midwife to the hebrew women and see them in the birth stool which was the place that they gave birth if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. Verse 18, so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, now why have you done this? Like, you, you ain't heard what I said? I told you you got to kill these kids, but like, what, you don't listen? You don't listen to me. And they literally said, look what they said here. Verse 19, the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, because we are not the same, because we don't do the same things, because we function very differently, because we're a different type of breed. They don't do the same things that other women do. They are vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes to them. Verse 20. And so God dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Let's read 21 and 22. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son is born to the Hebrews. You shall cast into the Nile, but you shall not, but you shall let every single daughter live. Today, I want to talk to you from a teaching entitled Discerning the Difference. Discerning the Difference. I firmly believe as we're reading through this text that this is something God has been placing heavy on my heart. That if we don't know the difference, you cannot discern. It is so important to discern the difference that if you don't know what is God, it's hard to tell what isn't God. If you don't know what is the devil, it's hard to tell what is the devil. This message is entitled discerning the difference because there's some things that we have to know concerning evidence. You have to know what's applicable and what's not. Now, talking about evidence, I want to give you this definition. Write this down if you're taking notes. Now, evidence 
is the available body, excuse me, the available body of facts or information, the available body of facts or information indicating whether a brief or a, um, um, a portion is true or if it is valid. I'll read that again. It says now available body or an available body of facts of information indicating whether a brief or a position, proposition, excuse me, is true or valid. Now, this is important because when we're talking about the word evidence, we have to understand that there is a difference between something that is true and there's something that is valid. I was watching like this FBI uh, movie show the other night, right? Really good show, awesome, loved it. And I heard them talking about this idea of evidence. They said, and they, I quote, there were certain pieces of evidence that were on the scene that they couldn't use because it was not valid to their situation. And I said to myself, wait a second, you mean to tell me you can have all this evidence for only one of the things is useful? It is very possible for us to take up things in our daily walk in life that God never intended us for take to take up because it's not relevant to where God is going. It is so important for us to understand the value of evidence that if you don't know the value of evidence, you're going to take something that is invaluable. So when understanding the concept of evidence, the two key words in that definition is true and valid or validity. If we do not know what is true, we cannot understand if it is valued. Now, talking along the idea, this kind of reminds me of this story. Um, I was like, uh, actually, I'm going to tell you the age because some of y'all might try to track back and figure out my story. But I did this girl one time, right? And um, God bless her. And I, I learned something in that relationship. Now, brothers, y'all, y'all can witness with me. Uh, my sisters, please don't come from my neck. I appreciate y'all. But she used to say this one thing in a relationship, and it was uh, it used to plague me until I understood it. Well, something would go wrong, and then she would say, yo, Javert, my feelings are valid. And I'd sit up here like, man, how many times are you going to tell me your feelings are valid? I understand your feelings are valid. I'm trying to tell you they don't matter. I was kidding. I was going like that. But the truth was, I had to understand that, yes, she had feelings, but her feelings are valid. Sometimes we come across different situations in life. And in those situations, you'll be handed a wealth of information, but you have to determine what's true and what's valid. What happens in the kingdom of God is the devil is like a lion. He moves around looking for who he can devour. He looks for ways in. He looks for different creases, places to get in and usher confusion. He likes to put things in front of you to make you think, wait, could this be God? Wait, wait, this could be God. Wait, wait, wait. This could be God. Just to find out that none of it was God. It is the worst film in the world to go so far into something to realize that you were never supposed to be there in the first place. Some things are true and other things are valid. They're valid. You, you, you do struggle with less. So, I mean, it makes sense if there's a lot of girls everywhere. There's a lot of men everywhere. It makes sense that all these things are around you. But, but what is the truth? The truth is there's a condition with your heart that needs to be fixed. Now, we're talking about this idea of evidence. I'm going to go through this verse by verse, and I want you guys to really stay with me because there's importances that you have to gravitate. When we finally get to understand, right, that validity and truth builds up evidence, we then have to understand that validity is something that has substance in it. Substance itself is the fundamental property of evidence. If something has no substance, it's not even going to be evidence. 
I want everybody in here to begin to think about some of the things that we think about on a daily basis, we talk about on a daily basis that really have no relevancy to some of the things we're trying to accomplish. They really don't take you nowhere. They, they literally doesn't help you at all. It's just like information, like, bro, I didn't need to know this information that I found out. Like, you know what? This really doesn't help me. You know what I'm saying? You know what? I feel like that information is just helping me to go. I, I, you know what? I don't think I even need to know information. Some of these things are just substance. that carry validity, but have no relevance to the truth. And as we're diving into this text, I want everyone to understand that if you do not know the truth, every form of validity will come across like it's correct to you. The Bible says that the enemy literally is the usher of confusion and that God is not the author of confusion. What is confusion? Confusion is a whole lot of opinions. It's a whole lot of substance that has validity that makes you think it's the truth. In verse one, it starts off by saying this. Now there rose excuse me, um, verse one says, now there were the names of sons of Israel who came. Now, everybody listed in the first five verses, I want you to write this down. This is very important. They were all considered portions or areas or leaders of the tribes of Israel. So Jacob, Levi, Simeon, Judah, Ishkar, all through these guys, these were all brothers. They were all brothers of Joseph. This was so important because when we begin to understand that these were a specific demographic of people in the first Five. Let me see here. Six verses. This was all one period of time, meaning they had all gone to Egypt. And as we know today, Egypt represents a place of bondage, right? It represents a place where you're withheld, right? Think of myself, they all went to Egypt, but Egypt wasn't really Egypt back then. I mean, Egypt was like, you know, Egypt was like LA. You feel me? It's dope. You know, it's, like, it's, it's LA. You know, it's Egypt. And there came a point in time that is illustrated here in verse 8 before I go back. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt. Jump back with me to verse 7. Let's go to verse 6. It says, then Joseph died with his brothers. Joseph died. And all his brothers in that generation also died. Verse 4 tells us it was about 70 people. It says they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. Now, why is this important? This is so important for us to understand because these are literally two different moments in time. These are two different seasons. One season, 70 people came into Israel. The next season was massive multiplication. Verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. They were fruitful and increased greatly, meaning after the 70 had died, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. Write this point down. Bondage was not their position. Bondage was their condition. When the people of Israel came to Egypt, they came as people that were not in bondage. They were not. Joseph wasn't. The 12 tribes, the 11, other 11 brothers, they were not. None of them were not in bondage. But there was a point in time that we've come to learn in Scripture that the people of Israel were bound. So when did this happen? Why did this happen? In between verse 7 and verse 8 was a lot of time. So much time that hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of Israelites were born. Generations of people that were born into slavery, into this idea of what Egypt is to become. Bondage is not their condition. 
excuse me, bondage is not their position, but bondage is their condition. Have you ever heard people say things like, I was born like this, or, or God made me like this, or these are the cards that were dealt to me, so it is what it is. A lot of this ideology spiritually comes from the understanding of verse 7, where people were born into something that they had nothing to do with. Now, how many of you can possibly, you know what I'm saying, relate to what I'm saying? Where God puts you in a position that you didn't really ask for? You just landed in this spot and you're like, wait a second, I didn't ask to be here. Why didn't you put me in a millionaire's home? Like, what's up? Like, why did you bring me into the ghetto? Like, what's she saying? I didn't ask to be in this situation. Some of us have landed ourselves in the same principle that these Israelites have found themselves into today, which was a place where you have to confront adversity even when you didn't ask for it. I was talking to one of, my, one of my boys this afternoon, and he said to me, he's like, yo, Jay, why is it that I have to keep going through these things? And I told him, well, you have to go through it because you're human. Not because you did something wrong, but because you are human. Because you're a spiritual being that God put on earth, so you now have to go through adversity. We were never meant to become slaves to our circumstance. Write that down. But we were meant to become overcomers of adversity. This carries a weight because it talks about who we are and who we're meant to be. We do not determine adversity, but we do determine outcome. I'm going to speak to somebody today who might be in a specific season of their life where you don't know why certain things are happening. I want you to know that sometimes, baby, it's not your fault. This is literally where you are, but it's not meant to break you down. It's meant to build you up. You cannot determine your adversity, but you can definitely determine the outcome. Genesis chapter 17, verse 6 to 7 says this. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make, your make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant because, excuse me, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations and everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. This verse tells us that as these people, these, this generation was now born into this place that they didn't ask for, that they had an identity before they came into play. I want each and every single person to listen, listen under the sound of my voice to understand that you might not have asked for where God puts you or where God has allowed you to be, but that doesn't define who you are because you have an image and that image is in the image of God and his likeness to become who God has made you to become. You might be in a hard season, a hard spot. You might have been dealt some really tough cards. But I want you to understand that even though that was given, that does not make you who you are. Verse 7 says that they were fruitful, meaning they had a lot of babies. They increased greatly, meaning they grew in number. They multiplied, and they grew exceedingly strong that the land was filled with them. I'm telling you all today that God wants to do something in your life. And if you track back even to the foundation of the thing that you struggled with or the struggle that you went through, you will find that there are signs that we can begin to talk about here today. Anytime there is multiplication, it is not a direct indicator that it's God. But when there is multiplication and fruit, it is always Jesus. Anytime there was multiplication and fruit, it is always Jesus. You ever went back into the garden and you consider this thought that, yes, there was Adam, there was Eve, but there also was the devil. 
In fact, not in that order, before Adam, before Eve, there was God and there was the devil. Which means the devil had been in the garden way before your boy Adam showed up and your girl Eve popped into the equation. So, so if, if Satan, excuse me, Lucifer at the time was in heaven or in the garden of Eden and Adam was present and he did nothing until Eve showed up, it leads us to believe that the devil ain't going to do nothing to you the moment he realized that there was an opportunity to multiply. You see, the devil always moves when he sees that God wants to make more of you. That, that God wants to make you to become something. That he wants to show you that he's taking you somewhere. That he's giving you direction and he's giving you destination. And he wants you to see the bigger picture. But in order for you to understand where God is taking you, you have to realize the devil does not fight unless there was something worth fighting for. The devil does not fight unless there was something worth fighting for. Verse 8 says, now there arose a new king over Egypt. Now, this king didn't know who Joseph was. He said to the people, behold, the people of Israel are too many, and they are too mighty for us. Write this down. A sign that God is with you isn't always numerical growth, but it is always qualitative growth. A sign that God is with you is not always numerical. It's qualitative. Because we learn past in our story in our insecurity when we started talking about Gideon, right? Gideon had a whole bunch of people, but God said, no, that's too much, cut it down. Well, but God, we got to go in the battle and we got to defeat the Millionites. And God said, how much you got? You got how much? Okay, yeah, cut that down. Hey, God, listen, all you got like a thousand people left. How are you going to make it? What you want me to do? Cut it down. God, I only have 300 people left. There's hundreds of thousands of them. What am I supposed to do? Now go with the strength you have. Numerical growth isn't always the thing that God moves by. But he always moves in quality. Quality is a substance of faith. Science isn't always the answer. But learning how to move in the place where God wants you to be is. We see that this new king who didn't know who Joseph, Jacob, he didn't know none of these people, now into the equation is realizing, wait a second, there's a whole lot of multiplication happening here. And I want y'all to really take a hold of this. We talk about Egypt all the time as being a place of bondage, which spiritually it does represent that place. But we have to understand these people were born into something and they knew nothing else. They didn't know that Jacob and Joseph and, and Neftali, you know where all these guys came from. All they know is bondage. And some of us are in a place where all we know is defeat. All we know is insecurity. All we know is disbelief. All we know is pain and heartbreak. All we know is unfaithfulness. All we know is an absence of something. That's all we know. As I was reading, I heard God say, listen, there's more to you that you have yet to discover. And it has less to do with your position, and it has more to do with your condition. See, truthfulness oversees validity. Because not everything that is valid is true, but everything that is true is valid. This is why the things of God are always true and valid, but the things that aren't of God may be valid, but they're not true. 
It says here now, and he said to the people, Behold, there are too many, they're too mighty. Verse 10, come and let us surely come to them, lest they multiply again. They keep saying this word. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies, which is multiplication again, and fight against us. They could escape, they could beat us, they could overtake us. It kind of makes sense. The enemy always fights when there's something worth fighting for. And sometimes the devil's so dumb, he don't even know, like, he can't really do anything because he can't see anything. See, the devil can only see what you give him. The reason why he acted when Eve showed up was because that's all he could see. Wait, 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 wait. He already took my Now there's two. Now there's going to be three. Now there's going to be Oh, man, I got to take these out. How do we know? It's because all the devil recognizes is multiplication. He don't know addition. He don't know subtraction. Because when he got casted out of heaven, he took a third with him. So oh, let me get this math right. Okay, you right here. Hey, you coming with me. Hey, who wants to follow me? Let's go. I'm getting, I'm getting casted out right now. Let's go. So he recognizes multiplication. And this is why I want y'all to be so sensitive to this word. When talking about the idea of evidence, you will always see signs over and over and over. Wait a second, if I struggle with something, there's signs to support it. Wait a second, I'm, I'm, I can't really figure this out. Ah, there's signs to support it. You will see over and over and over where God is taking you because God will always make sure it's clear to you that he has purpose on the other side of your direction. Verse 11 says, now therefore they took taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. To afflict them with heavy burdens. I feel like in this moment uh, that somebody needs to hear this. Write this scripture down, Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18, the Bible says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in you. There might be somebody listening right now that is suffering in some form, fashion, or another. I want you to understand that even though you might be going through a hard season, this hard season is not worthy to be compared to what God is about to show in your life. Mm. That God wants to take you out of a place of bondage. And he wants to put you in a place of overcoming. But it's not about taking you out and putting you elsewhere. It's about taking you through so that you can overcome it. You see, overcoming is not literally just standing on top of. It's going through until you get to the other side of where you're going. Sometimes you've got to go through in order to stand over. So it's always about just getting on top. Get me on a helicopter, take me to the top of Mount Everest. Now, I'm at the top of Mount Everest. It's not the same thing as somebody climbed it. There is a process that God wants to take you through. And as these people, it's illustrated here in verse 11, the people of Israel were afflicted with heavy burdens and tasks. And they've gone through hard seasons of their life. They built feral stores in different buildings like pythons and Ramses. And verse 12, it says, but the more they were oppressed, was the more they multiplied. Write that down. The more they were oppressed is the more that they multiplied. The more that I am oppressed is the more I shall multiply. It would almost seem that oppression is the answer to multiplication. When, when something is pressed, it gets squeezed. And when something is squeezed, it gets forced into a space that it wants to break out. Every time something is multiplied in your life, if you trace it back, you will find signs of oppression. Oppression. 
You know, I just want to make it out. I've been waiting for such a long time. You know, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to fail. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of going through what I've been going through. I'm tired of, you know, I'm going to make this. Take it back. You will find that there were signs of oppression. God wants to will in you to do of his good pleasure. Trace it back. Why do you feel the way that you feel? Why are you going through what you're going through? Why do you want the money? Why do you want the peace? Why do you want the family, the friends? Why do you want the things that you want? Trace it back. I promise you there's always a sign. It says here, but they were oppressed. And the more they were oppressed, was the more they multiplied. It was almost as if Pharaoh couldn't figure it out. If I want them to remain small, then maybe I shouldn't oppress them because they keep multiplying, but yet he kept oppressing and the more they spread and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Egypt, of Israel. Verse 13, now so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar bricks and in all kinds of work in the field and in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. 15 says, then the king of Egypt, of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, were the people who, you know, pop out the babies, right? Says one of whom was named Shephira or Shifra. It's hard name to pronounce. Shifra. And the other was pure. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew woman and you see them on the birth stools, if it is son, kill them. Now, this was an order that was given from Pharaoh. Now, this is so interesting to me, not because he gave them a command to kill the babies, but when you think about it, it was more to it. Now, Pharaoh was fearful of multiplication. The devil is fearful of multiplication. He does not want you to get the first picture because then you're going to get the second picture. But he told them to kill the sons. Why the sons? Because back in these days, the sons were the ones who went to battle. They went to war. They fought in the wars. And Pharaoh knew if they raised up in such a way to where they could enlist in the army, man, they're already great. Now, remember, they came in at 70 people. Now they're millions. Pharaoh's army's probably like, what, a million? He got, like, small. And so he realized, you know what? Take out the chick out the sons because the sun is literally a representation of the strength of something. Now we look at the root of the word sun, right? Sun represents a builder or a building of a name or a nation or quality. A sun represents a builder or the building of a name, a nation or quality. Take out the sun so we will cut off the building of this nation. It will cut off the strength of this nation, the quality of this nation. This was not, and I used to study this because I said, wait a second, God, is this all about sons and daughters? The Lord told me, he says, no, I have nothing to do with sons and daughters. You see, to each and every single one of us, man, woman alike, there is a portion of us that needs to be built with quality and structure and strength. In fact, I began to think about it. As I read in the text, I realized that yes, even though the sons represent those things, a son actually represents power and giving. A woman represents seed and multiplication. And when a woman takes something, she multiplies. And when a son comes, he gives. So Pharaoh said, wait a second, maybe if I can cut off the strength, I will cut off their strength. But it's interesting to know that he might 
but attempted to cut off something God would not allow. Look what happens here. It's so important. God always gives when he multiplies too. He always gives. In verse 17, it says, but the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. They let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And 19 is the answer. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before their midwives. Wait a second, wait a second. When we go back up to verse 17, it says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And then down here in verse 19, it says that he, they told him because the women were vigorous. I said, wait a second, God, you're telling me that they lied. It, this was a bad face Because that's not what they did. And then I went to God in prayer and said, Lord, you're going to have to speak to me here because you said that lying ain't good. And it hit me real hard because when you fall down to verse 20, it says, so God dealt with the midwives. And when you check the context of the word dealt, it means that God blessed them, that God did them right. That was like, well done. God, they lied. You said lying ain't good. You hate anything that forms deceit. So, so God, Jesus, I'm going to need you to explain yourself. And as I began to pray, the Lord began to show me, and I want to read this here because I think this carries a lot of weight and relevance to uh, what we're talking about today. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17, it says, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Ah, and whoever, it says, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. I said, Jesus, uh, we got a problem because they were giving uh, dishonesty. They were not giving honest evidence. Lord, what is going on? The Lord began to show me. He said, now the Bible doesn't condemn this, which is interesting, but it also doesn't justify this. And this is important. Now, please listen to me. Please do not say, oh, Javier, I can go and lie, and I'm going to go and lie. Don't do that. We got to check proper context. But the Bible did not condemn this, but it also didn't justify it. The fact of the matter was that they lied but the Bible does condemn deception. Mm. In Joshua chapter 2, we see that Rahab also lied. But she would this for it. In Hebrews chapter 11 and 31, we see that, that, she, that um, she was celebrated for her act. Which is so interesting, in James chapter 2 and verse 25, the Bible also doesn't explain that it was condemning the lie, but that it was just present. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and 19, this happened again with Elisha, who also lied. And then now today in Exodus chapter 1, looking through the context, we see the midwives also lie. And I said, God, wait a second. There's a bunch of people? I need someone to just, I had a hard time. And then I sat down and I said, Lord, open my eyes to see. And God began to show me that the midwives lied to man, but they were truthful with God. 
Now, this is a very rare, these are rare instances. This is why this is not a template to follow, but I want you guys to get the picture here. They lied to Pharaoh because it was dishonest to God. So they were truthful to God, which is why they lied to Pharaoh. The statement of their lie had less to do with their action, but it had more to do with their identity because they realized who they were. This whole conversation about evidence is more about who you are and less about what you're looking for. Because if you cannot identify who you are, you will miss the signs. I've been calling you for such a long time. My daughter, I need you to step into this ministry. My son, I need you to go to school and get this done because I need to take you over here, but you, if you're not going to go, you're not going to. There's so many things that God has been showing us. I need you to leave that relationship. It ain't good for you. I, I need you to go. It's not good for you. You've been holding on to certain jobs with God. You know what I'm saying? This is my source of income. What do you mean? But I ain't there. I ain't blessing it. And the idea behind their obedience was to understand that they realized who they were in Christ. And they were not, were not willing to conform to the things of man. I say all of this to make this one point. If you do not know who you are, you will always miss the mark. One person said to me this past week, well, Javert, I thought we just have to know who Jesus is. Well, that's great, because if you know who Jesus is, you know the way. Jesus is the way. But if you don't know who you are, then you can't see where you are. The Bible says in Psalms 119.105 that God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The path is Jesus, but the feet is you. And if you do not know where you are, if you do not know who you are, you cannot realize where you're going. Because you will always see destination, but you will never see direction. As we close, I want to pull this full circle. So I believe it's so interesting that throughout the course of all these verses that there was tremendous signs to support that the people of Israel did not know who they were. They literally were born into bondage and they lived in bondage. I don't know who this is for today, but I want you to understand this, that God may have either put you there or allowed you to be there, but that is not who you are. And in the process of becoming who God has called you to become, you have to realize who you were meant to be in Christ. And these next few weeks, we're going to dive so hard into what we were meant to be so that we can become today. Because God's word says that he is consistent. He is unchanging. He is forever the same. He is steadfast. He has always been God. He was God. He is God and is God to come, which means that there is no division between understanding who the people of Israel were from who they were meant to be. I think the part that breaks hearts today and hurts me the most is to realize in the same manner, 70 came into Egypt and a whole generation never knew the 70. In the same way today we live, and we don't remember 
who the people of Israel were. I think we have to pull from this scripture one point. The people of Israel were meant to follow Jesus. And you're meant to follow him too. I want to pray for you if this hits home with you. And you believe, wait a second, I, I'm meant to be a follower of Christ. I'm not quite living it. Not quite doing it. I really don't know how to do it. I know that there's been evidence that God's been calling me, but I don't know how to get back. I want to pray for you. And I'm also going to pray for that person who wants to experience this person that we are so passionately, passionately talking about, which is Jesus. I want to pray for you as well, that God would open your eyes, that he would show you where you are so that he could show you where he's taking you. I believe that he has some things he wants to show you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for today. We thank you, Lord, for this new series, this new conversation about evidence, understanding that, Father, you are the truth, that everything about you is true, that the devil is confusion and that you are not the author of confusion. Father, I just pray over each and every single person listening to this message that you would remove the, the clutter and the things that confuse them from their ears. Father, remove it from their eyes, remove it from their senses so they can know which way to follow. Father, thank you for what you're doing in their life. Let this word bring fruit and life to them in Jesus' name. And if you are somebody who would love to give your life to Jesus, this is probably the most important portion of everything. I want you to understand that even for you, there has been evidence that God has been calling you, calling you home, calling you back. God wants you because he loves you. And I believe that God wants to put you in a position where your eyes will be open, that you may be found in Christ. I want to pray for you. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to pray this prayer. In fact, everybody in here and online, say this prayer with me. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. I realize that I need you, that I'm nothing without you. Come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey family, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that it was a blessing to you. If you have any questions, comments, testimonies, or prayer requests, we would love to hear from you. Send us a message to the Detox Movement on all social platforms. And be sure to get your official Detox brand merch at thedetoxbrand.com. And above all things, family, remember that you are loved, you are blessed, you are beautiful, and most importantly, you are detoxified by God's amazing grace. And until next week, family, God bless you.